Minister number 11. And uh, boy, I enjoyed that song. Praise the Lord. There's no, so, no snow plows in heaven. Amen. Uh, you won't need them. And uh, there won't be any snow. Uh, and you know, part of me says, man, I, I, there is, I was at home and I was like to stay at home tonight and watch the snow fall. I really did. I was like, I was like, but you know what? I'm going to church because that's what I ought to do. Amen. Uh, you heard about the fella. He, uh, he, uh, uh, he woke up and, and, uh, and he said, well, I don't want to go to church today. And his wife said, well, you need to go to church. And he said, well, I, I just, I don't want to go. He said, you know, he said, those people down there, they don't even like me. And she said, well, you, you have got to go to church. He said, man, I, I don't feel, I'm tired. I just want to rest. And, uh, and she said, you have got to go to church. And finally, he says, you give me one good reason why I should go to church. And she said, because you're the preacher. That's why. <laughs> Sometimes that's true, and, uh, but uh, praise the Lord, I'm glad you're here tonight, and uh, man, singing about heaven, boy, what a wonderful uh, thought to be reminded of on a snowy, cold, blistery winter day that, uh, praise the Lord, there's a mansion prepared for us, and, uh, and God's working on it. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go, I love this part, to prepare a place for you. And then he goes on and he says, and I will come again. Boy, what a blessing to know that, uh, that he's just, I've, I've heard it said before uh, that, uh, you know, he, uh, you're still here and he hasn't come yet because your place is not ready. All right. And so he's still working on it. And uh, uh, so praise the Lord. We're uh, looking forward. We have a lot to look forward to as a Christian. And uh, Romans chapter number 11, that doesn't have anything to do with the message this evening. Romans chapter number 11, I want to preach on God's great plan. And I want to, I want to look, I want to take a step back. I said this before, I think about one of the chapters here in Romans. And, uh, and, and I, I, in, in Romans chapter number 11, I want to take a step back and look at the whole of the picture of Romans chapter number 11. Uh, so many times I, I, I have a tendency to go right in. And, uh, and get lost in the forest and not be able to see the trees, if you know what I'm saying. And so I want us to step, step, step it, take a step back and look at the broader picture of what Paul is, is teaching here. Paul, the Apostle Paul really is an excellent teacher, and uh, he has a lot of information that he gives us in, in Romans chapter number 11. And so look with me there in verse number 1. And the Bible says this, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not that the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved my, to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace, but it be of works, 
then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And let's stop right there and, uh, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to study your word, to look into it. And God, I pray that you would give us understanding hearts. I pray, Father, that you'd give me uh, the ability to explain and to teach and to help uh, give, Father, what you've recorded in your word, Father, that we could understand and we could grow and we could uh, have a, a good knowledge, Father, uh, of what you've written written for us. And, and God will thank you for that. And God will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As, uh, as we get into Romans chapter number 11, uh, I want to, I've entitled this, this message, God's Great Plan. And you see right in the beginning, he says, uh, that he starts off with the question and the topic, hath God cast away his people. When he's mentioning his people, he's speaking specifically of the Israelites. And he's saying, hey, you know, God used the Israelites throughout the history. He's already covered much of that. And, uh, and he's saying, has God cast away the Israelites? Is he all done with them? And are they all washed up? And are they set aside? And he says emphatically, God forbid. And so that is the topic that he is going to deal with for the entire chapter. Uh, 11 and he's going to talk about that and so as we look into this we're not going to read every verse just for the sake of time and and uh, we're gonna we're gonna grab the whole of the chapter and where his arguments and where he's going with all of this and again, I don't want us to get lost in the, uh, the wording of everything, but I want us to see the large picture of what Romans chapter number 11 is talking about. And so verses 1 through 6, we see the, uh, the confusion about Israel. And, uh, and I don't know that there was confusion, but for whatever reason, the Apostle Paul brings it up and he says, hey, this is important. Maybe there were those that were uh, spreading rumors that saying, that, oh, you know, God's all done with Israel. Uh, I don't really know. There is a, uh, a theology out there, and I'm not real familiar with it, that, that God has set Israel aside and He's no longer going to use them. The Apostle Paul deals very clearly with this, and he says, no, that's not the truth. And, and he gives in verse number one, he gives us the proof of that. What's his proof? Look there in verse number one. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, there, the fact that God has not set aside the entirety uh, of Israel and that Israel cannot be saved is simply not true because I, the Apostle Paul, am saved. And God is using me. And so as he's looking at it, it seems to me, as we go through this chapter, you'll find that he's talking by and large about the nation of Israel in general. And then he's going to talk about the Gentile people in general. And he doesn't get into a whole lot of specifics. The specifics that he does say are to prove, hey, that, that God is not entirely done with Israel. In other words, an Israelite can get saved. And, uh, and, and, and the Apostle Paul is an example of that here in verse number one. He's proof of that. And he goes on and he gives further proof to help clarify this confusion. And he, and he gives an example from the Old Testament. He takes the example of Elijah. He calls him Elias here in the New Testament, but it's the same as Elijah in the Old Testament. And he says, uh, you remember when Elijah 
had gone to the king and he said, listen, uh, it's not going to rain uh, for, for 40 days, if I remember correctly. And uh, there's going to be a famine in Israel. It was Ahab and Jezebel. And, and after that, Elijah leaves. And, and Elijah, in his journey, he fled for his life. Uh, in his journey, he stops under a bush and he's discouraged. Uh, he's tired. He has just gone and, and uh, written the death sentence for his own life on his, on his own uh, on his own life there uh, before the king. And he said, hey, uh, uh, listen, God said it's not going to rain because you guys are not living according to the word of God. And so as he's running and as he's tired and he stops at this bush, he says, God, just take my life now. I'm the last one. There's nobody else in Israel. And, uh, and you ever heard the woe is me song? We used to sing this song. It's not really woe is me. It's, um, it's um, the worm song. And, uh, and it goes, uh, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. And we used to sing it when my kids were little, I used to sing it quite a bit, because uh, kids, you know, they have the woe is me, I don't have any friends, nobody likes me, and I'd sing for them the, uh, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms, long, thin, slimy ones, short, fat, juicy ones, itsy, bitsy, fuzzy, wuzzy worms, um, and so it goes on like that, but... Uh, uh, but but that's kind of Elijah's mentality, saying nobody, nobody likes me. There's no other prophets in all of Israel. Nobody is standing for what is right. And by the way, we can kind of get that same complex that Eli Elijah had, if we're not careful. Uh, and we do live in a wicked day. I'm not saying we don't, but Elijah lived in a wicked day. Many people in the Bible lived in wicked days. And, uh, and we should not get the complex that, woe is me, or uh, boy, there's so few of us, because God said to Elijah, look as he prayed in verse number 3, he said, Lord, just kill me because there's nobody left, and, uh, and they're seeking after my life. And in verse number 4, he said, what did God answer him? And he says kind of in the middle of the verse, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. And what's his point in proving that? He's giving proof that God is not done with Israel. Number one, by saying, hey, I am Paul, the Apostle Paul. I am an Israelite, and I am saved, and God is using me. So God has not completely just said, hey, no more Israelites. I'm not going to work with them. And beside that, he brings up the point of Elijah saying, listen, uh, in, in, besides the fact that I'm saved, uh, God has always has a remnant. Look in verse number five. He says that. He says, even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And he's saying, listen, God is always has a reserved part of people that are serving him. And that's what his point was with Elijah, or Elijah rather, that uh, Elijah certainly didn't know of other people. Elijah certainly felt like he was all on his own. But the fact of the matter is God had 7,000 people that were still serving God in Israel. They were undercover. They were hiding. Uh, they had to be because their life probably was at stake. And, and listen, uh, we ought to always remember that when we think, oh, nobody else is doing, a, doing right, uh, it's us 40 and no more, and, and nobody else is living right, nobody else. Hey, that's not true. 
There are churches all over America. There are churches all over the world where people are living right and serving the Lord. And we got to remember that. We don't see them uh, and we don't necessarily know where they're at. But there is a remnant that are serving the Lord. And that's what his point is. Even though God may have set aside Israel... He did not set them aside entirely and said, no Israel is going to get saved. No Israelite is going to serve the Lord. Uh, and and uh, he was, it was not cut off completely. There always is a remnant. And so that's the principle that he starts off with. And he, wants, he gives us the, uh, the idea that, hey, there was some confusion about Israel. Did God cut them off and was he done? And could an Israelite get saved or could an Israel not get saved? And he says, certainly they can. And certainly there is a remnant of those who will be saved. And so he's talking about uh, Israel being cut off. And then verses uh, 7, all the way down through 24, he covers the corruption of Israel. And again, when he's talking about Israel, he's talking about the nation as a whole. Look with me at verses 7. Uh, we'll read down there through 10. It says, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes, and they eyes that they should not that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. Verse number 11. No, we'll stop right there in 10. And so, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, uh, that, that Israel, and we know this to be true, going back and reading history, voluntarily walked away from God, time and time again. You go back and read the book of Judges. What happened in the book of Judges? There was no king in Israel. The Bible says, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And God would raise up a judge and he would liberate them from their enemies that had brought punishment upon them and, and liberate them. And for a while they'd straighten up and fly straight and they'd serve God. But after a while, eventually what happened is uh, the Bible would repeat itself and it'd say, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And it goes on and on. It does the same thing. And Israel was constantly walking away from God. And so in verse, verses 8 and 9 here, we see very clearly, uh, verses 9 and 10 rather, And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. Now what does that mean? Does that mean... All of Israel had walked away from God? No, there were certainly a remnant. Matter of fact, I, I was thinking about that. And I thought how incredible it is that God would preserve a remnant in Israel. You go back to the, uh, to the intertestament uh, time period when, when the Old Testament had ceased. And we've, we talk about this at Christmas, at least I've brought it up on occasion, that there were four hundred years of silence where, where God did not speak to the nation of Israel. And I've brought that up that that's, that's several generations. You realize if you were an Israelite and you were used to hearing from God and, and then all of a sudden, well, my, my grandpa, my grandpa's grandpa's grandpa uh, was, there was a miracle in his day. 
But we haven't had a prophecy. We haven't had a miracle. We haven't had anything. And remember that the nation of Israel was a nation that required signs. God constantly did signs all the way back from uh, when he brought them out of Egypt. What did he do? He did all kinds of signs and miracles and showed his power over the Egyptians. And then in the desert, he provided water for them. He provided food for them. And as they went on, there was constantly a display of signs. There was constantly a display of miracles. The prophets were often prophesying and saying, listen, God has said this and thus saith the Lord and giving out the word of God. But you go all the way to the, uh, to the end of the Old Testament. And for 400 years, nothing. They'd go to the temple. They'd offer their sacrifices. They would follow all the things. And, and what we actually eventually find is that the, the Pharisees, uh, many of them, had introduced doctrines and really uh, had gotten away from the Word of God. And that's why Jesus had such a problem with the, with the Pharisees. And he tells them over and over, you're whited sepulchers. And, and, and he goes on and on and rails against them. Why? Because they had, they had left God. But wait a minute, there was a remnant. There was a remnant. Who were they? Well, I know of at least two. When the, when the New Testament opens up and the Bible says, talks about Mary and it talks about Joseph. And it goes on and it gives us insight into the inside of Israel. Yes, Israel as whole had corrupted themselves, but there was still a remnant. Mary and Joseph, Anna and Simeon, those old prophets that were there at the temple who witnessed Jesus coming in. And what he's saying is, hey, there was a remnant of a silver line uh, that had been inside the lineage. And, and yes, by and large, they had walked away from God. Yes, by and large, they had left the uh, the the uh law of God and following God, but there was still a remnant that came through. And because they walked away, listen, God said God was not obligated to say, take Israel and say, oh, no, no, we need to steer you back to me. How many times had God done that? Uh, God, at time and time again, God had steered Israel back and said, hey, listen, uh, this is the direction you should be going. And, and he sent them prophets. And so God was not under any obligation to continue steering them out. And so when they walked away from God and when their ears became dull of hearing and they were no longer interested in God, they were no in, longer interested in following God and they, they left God, they missed out on the blessings of God in their life. And to this day, uh, you look at the nation of Israel, there are many, many uh, Israelites and many Jewish people uh, who, who continue practicing their Judaism, but, but they, they don't know God. They don't know who He is. They don't know the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now there are some uh, Jews who have been saved. Praise the Lord for that. And that's simply what He's saying is that, listen, God didn't cut off the entire nation and just throw them away and say, no more Jews will be saved, but rather uh, that they had walked away from the Him. And, and their punishment was He let them go. And they miss out on that blessing. But look at the privilege that is given because of that corruption that took place. Look with me at verse number 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. And the results of their unbelief is that God said, 
Hey, Gentiles. And a Gentile is you and I. It's anybody that is not a Jew. And, and so Gentiles, hey, you can be saved. Uh, God opened it up. Does that mean that Gentiles could not be saved before when God was dealing with Israel? That's not true either. Uh, why? Because we know in, in the lineage even of Jesus Christ, there are some. Rahab is one that sticks out in my mind. Uh, somebody that was not, uh, not a, 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 an Israelite by birth, but yet was allowed to come into Israel and was a believer and was even in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Ruth was another one. And uh, she was certainly not, she was a Moabite. She didn't live in Israel. She wasn't born in Israel, but yet she was allowed to come in. So Gentiles still could be saved in the Old Testament, but God was not dealing with and working with primarily the Gentile people. He was dealing with the Israelite people. And then in the New Testament, with the New Covenant, He has is, he is allowed Israel to walk where they wanted to go and do what they want to do. And he's opened up salvation as a privilege to the Gentiles. And praise the Lord for that, because you and I can be saved. And uh, not can be saved, but that it's become more prominent. And that God opened it up, and he's made an effort to reach to all the Gentiles. Look in verse number 13, it clarifies that, as Paul specifically says his calling. He says, for I speak to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. In other words, he was just saying, look, I'm gonna, uh, God has called me specifically to go to the Gentile people. And he's saying, I'm magnifying my office. I'm, I'm giving it as an example. I, I'm making more of it to do so that, so that you can understand. And if you go back and you read the, gospel or the uh, book of Acts, you'll find that uh, God was constantly leading the Apostle Paul. And sometimes Paul wanted to go here, and God would not allow him. He said, no, 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 don't go there. And God directed the Apostle Paul and constantly was leading him to places like Ephesus, to places like uh, um, Corinth, to places like Philippi, to places uh, where, where there were by and large Gentile people that needed the gospel. And so uh, the, the privilege of the corruption of Israel was that salvation then was turned and God allowed uh, or, or dealt with, would be a better word, the Gentile people more directly. And salvation was opened unto them. Look with me in verse number 16 down through 24. We won't read it for sake of time. But then uh, in the corruption of Israel, he gives them a parable of the grafting of the branch. And, uh, and that's how he's explaining it. A parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so Paul uses the same uh, idea that Jesus did in giving parables. He takes an earthly, me uh, earthly story that they would understand. Look with me at verse number uh, 16. He says, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the, roots, if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. He's giving an illustration, and he goes on all the way down through 24. We won't read it all for sake of time, but, uh, but he's giving an illustration of a wild olive tree and a good olive tree. 
And he's saying, listen, uh, he gives the illustration of the good olive tree and of course the roots being God and, and then uh, the trunk and then the branches and the branches being Israel. And he said those branches failed to produce and they were broken off. In other words, God said, hey, I'm no longer going to deal with Israel uh, uh, as a nation on a whole. It does not mean that an Israelite cannot get saved, but he's setting aside his focus on them. And then there was that branch was broken off. And he says he would take a wild olive branch and he would cut it off and he would graft it in. Now, I, I've never done this. I am not a uh, green thumb. I don't know even the right words for it. I, I just, that's not my realm. I don't do very good at some of that stuff. But I do understand what he's saying is they would cut that branch off and they would take another branch and they would, they would stick it. It had to be freshly cut. And if you tape it all up just right, uh, the, the, the liquids will continue to flow and that new branch, if everything is done successfully, will continue to grow off that, that old tree. And it's called grafting. In Italy, we had a lot of trees in our yard, and we had a lot of olive trees even. And, and one of the trees, um, it, it had some, there was, there was a lot of strange fruits in anyways in Italy that I had never eaten. And um, we had a fig tree, we had lemon trees, we had uh, blood olive tr or blood uh, orange trees, which was uh, an orange that had a red interior, and uh, I didn't care for those very much. And we had olive trees, and, and one of the trees, and I don't even remember what, uh, which one it was, but it produced weird fruit, and it was strange. And uh, one time I was talking with the, uh, the guy who owned the house, and he said, oh, he said, I, I, I graft a branch in from another tree into this tree. And, uh, and, it, and it mixed the fruit. It was kind of weird. I don't even remember what it was now. I, maybe it was a lemon and an orange. I, I don't remember. Uh, but, uh, but he had mixed two different tree branches and grafted in. And the more I looked at that, I could see where, oh, that branch was actually attached to that tree and it grew and, uh, and it continued to produce fruit, but it, it was different than the rest of the fruit that was on that tree. So what, what he's saying in this illustration simply is this. He said, and, and the, the, the people of that day that were primarily farmers would have understood completely, oh, that, that this branch was not producing fruit. And what's he say in the New Testament? Any, anyone cut off and thrown away and uh, and a new one is put in and so he would graft in the gentile nation so that it would bear fruit and so uh, that's his illustration that he gives to help the uh, us to understand that hey the nation of Israel was doing its own thing and it was no longer obeying God and it was no longer following God it was no longer if you will producing fruit therefore it was cut off and set aside and a branch that would produce fruit was grafted in that being the gentile nation and so he illustrates that in, in, in this passage. And he says there in verse number uh, 18, he says, hey, there's no room for boasting. We can't say, man, you know, aren't we so good that God, God decided to use us instead of the nation of Israel? No, there's no room for boasting. Because any good in our branch comes from the trunk, and that's God. Comes from the roots. 
And so we understand that. But because of that corruption of Israel, uh, the punishment was God let them go their way and do what they wanted, and they departed from God. The privilege was that we were, uh, the Gentile people then became God's focus, and He would deal with them, and then He gives them that parable of the grafting. And, uh, and there's lots there to read, and you can certainly take your time and, and read through that uh, as you get home. But I want us to go to the end of the passage here, because not only do we see the confusion surrounding Israel, the corruption of Israel, but the conclusion about Israel he covers at the end of the chapter. And in verse number 25, he covers this. And he says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so he's going to give us uh, the whole, uh, the conclusion of the whole matter. So the whole first of the chapter, he's introducing, hey, the confusion of Israel, how it was that God set them aside, how it was that the privilege of the Gentiles was then uh, uh, introduced and that the Gentiles were allowed to be saved. But he comes down to the final message here and he says, hey, here's the conclusion is that because uh, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. Look at verse number 26. He says, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And that, uh, that, that passage is referenced in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 and 21. Uh, I believe that's the passage that it is dealing with. And he gives that, that prophecy. And in that prophecy, it says that, hey, Jesus is going to come uh, and that, that Israel is going to be turned back to God. Now, the Jews, when Jesus came the first time, they recognized, oh, this, this is something. This is of God. And they expected him at that time to turn the nation of Israel back to God. And he did not. And he, he didn't come as a king at that time. But he came as a, a savior for the world. And so, uh, but we see here that it was promised and it will be fulfilled uh, in the word of God. Because the word of God says, hey, not one jot nor tittle shall pass from my book uh, till all be fulfilled. And so the word of God is going to be fulfilled. And the word of God and the promises that God has made will come to pass. And that means that the nation of Israel will be turned back to God. When will it take place? Well, I don't know exactly, but it will take place in the future. Uh, and, and I suspect highly that it will be after uh, God comes, or Jesus comes rather, and the trumpet sounds, and those who are saved and born again are caught up out of here, and then God will take, uh, there'll be a time of tribulation and, and all that, that is going on, and God will deal with the nation of Israel, and eventually He will come as Messiah of Israel, and this prophecy will be fulfilled, and He he will turn Israel, by and large, back to himself. That does not mean that every Israelite that is on the face of the earth will get saved. Um, God, is not a, uh, God is not somebody who forces people 
uh, to do what he wants to do, but rather his focus and his attention will be turned back to Israel and the Gentile, the time of, of salvation for the Gentiles that God has dealt with the Gentiles, hey, we'll be called out of here and we'll be gone. And he'll turn his direction back to the nation of Israel. Look with me in verse number 27 and he says this, For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And basically he's saying, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to graft Israel back in. If we, were to, if we would have read the, uh, the entire passage there of the grafting, he said that. He said at the end, hey, the, the nation of the Gentiles was grafted in, but eventually uh, that, that the nation of Israel will be grafted back into the trunk of God. And so we find that there is a promise made to, it, to uh, Israel that, hey, God is going to deal with them and he's going to bring them all back. And so this whole passage is dealing really with the idea of Israel and what is God's greater plan and his, his whole idea that he's doing. And it was a mystery to many of them until Paul uh, very clearly laid it out for us here in, in Romans chapter number 11. Go with me to verse number uh, 33. Not only can we see the promise there in verses 26 through 29, we read 27 there that's very clear and shows the promises of God, but look with me in verse number 33, and he ends the chapter with this, with the praise to God. Verse number 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You read this whole chapter, and I'll be honest with you, when I read through it, sometimes when I read through the book of Romans and I read through the Apostle Paul's writings, sometimes I get bogged down and I'm like, what exactly is he saying here? Sometimes I have to step back and I have to reread it and I have to look at the big picture. And, and really, uh, Paul had a, a very keen insight to the Lord and to his plan. And, and Paul certainly walked with God and had a, a great relationship with God in which God obviously very clearly revealed many things to Paul. And that's why Paul is the author of the majority of the New Testament, to be honest with you. And here's the Apostle Paul closing out the chapter and he says... How wonderful is the wisdom and knowledge of God. When you step back and you look at the whole plan and you say, here's the nation of Israel. You remember that God called the nation of Israel out, out of Abraham and, uh, and, and he made them his people. And he said, I will make of thee a great nation so much that the, the stars won't be numbered and as the sand of the sea cannot be numbered. That's how the nation of Israel is going to be. And you trace that throughout history. And you can even historically watch attacks on the nation of Israel, even in relatively current events uh, in the 1900s, in the Holocaust, and how they uh, tried to, to wipe out the Jewish nation. But God said, oh, no, no, I'm not done with them. There's, it's going to come back. It's going to come back in full circle. And yes, they may be set aside temporarily, uh, but, but that doesn't mean they can't be saved, and that doesn't mean that God doesn't love them, but rather He opened it up to Gentiles so that you and I could be saved. And, and then uh, there's going to come, the, in one of those verses, it said the fullness of time of the Gentiles, where God is going to close the door, and listen, we'll be pulled out of here, but then He's going to turn His focus back to the nation of Israel. You say, what a wonderful God who designed and planned all of that. 
How wonderful is God's knowledge? I, I, that's, that's my best explanation of it. Honestly, some of it's over my head. I'll tell you what, I, I look at it and I say, what an amazing God we serve. And his wisdom and his knowledge is, is certainly to be praised and certainly something to marvel at as we read the word of God and we understand. And look with me at verse number uh, 30, well, go verse 34 and 35, he, he goes on uh, about the goodness of God and the wisdom of God. He says, for who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. Verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And he ends the chapter in the conclusion of the promise to Israel that God's going to turn back to them. But then a, in a closing as a praise to God saying, what a wonderful God. And all the honor and all the glory would be given to God for using the nation of Israel and a remnant to bring to us Jesus Christ, the Savior, who would live and die on this world and then raise again from the dead and go to heaven and it would open up salvation to every person. What a wonderful God. You look at it and you say, man, that's quite amazing. Gentiles could, they could be saved in the Old Testament. I, they don't think they could not. We gave a couple of examples of people that were, but his focus has turned now. And he's allowed all of the world. He said, go ye into all the world. He said that over and over. He said that in the, the close of the book of Mark. He said that in the close of the book of Matthew. He repeated it in the book of uh, Acts 1 and verse number 8. And he said, hey, go to, you know, first to Jerusalem and Samaria and then to the uttermost part of the world. What was he saying? He's saying, hey, salvation is for everyone. I've said it before. You can't knock on the wrong door. You can't talk to the wrong person. You can't give the wrong person a gospel track because God loves every single person. And while his focus is not currently on the Jews, his focus is on the world. And he said, hey, whosoever will may be saved. What a great God that offers salvation to every person. What, what a great God even to, to come up with that whole plan and figure out how to make it work, and how to, how to form it so that it would all come about. And I'm just saying that's God's plan for the nation of Israel, and I hope that helps just give you an understanding of Romans chapter 11. There's lots of nitty-gritty verses we didn't get into, but that's the overview of the entirety of the chapter 11 and dealing with uh, the nation of Israel and how God uh, opened up His focus to the Gentiles for a time and is allowing salvation. What a wonderful God that would do that and allow you and I to be saved. I hope that's a help and a blessing to you as we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed and more of a lesson perhaps than preaching but I hope and pray that it's been a help to you father we thank you thank you for your great wisdom your great knowledge and God your great love and compassion for those of us that are Gentiles God who did not have a history of loving God but yet You've allowed the nation, the, the, the Gentile people 
to be saved. And God, we're so thankful for that. God, I pray that you would help us to not take that lightly, not take that for granted. And God, to use the time that we have to influence others to be saved, to point them to you. God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person, Father, that's here, each and every person that's tuned in and listening. And God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar is open.